and I was hired. I remember being in our lodge and I had all the employees there and she was introducing me. And I remember I was kneeling down next to her chair and I said, you know, Mrs. Holding, thank you for the opportunity. And she, she's so, she grabs your hands. She, so just visually, she grabs both your hands and she holds them in tight to her. And she, that's how she talks to you. And I said, I just want to make sure I'm doing exactly what you want me to do for, for you and Earl's legacy of snow basing. And I said, can I ask you, you know, just your advice? And this is exactly what she said to me in word for word. She said, be nice and hire nice people. And I give her all the credit. It's, it's an amazing thing to work for a family like that, that care in that way. Welcome to the storm. I'm your host, Stuart Winchester. Snow Basin just announced a big new lift project for this summer. And it seemed like a great opportunity to get to know this Utah gem a little better. Before we get to that, do us both a favor and hop over to stormskiing.com and sign up for the Storm Skiing newsletter. I love the pod, but it is just a small part of the storm. And frankly, it is just a small part of the podcast. There is an article accompanying this podcast on stormskiing.com that includes an enormous amount of context around our conversation including maps detailing the placement of all this new infrastructure that we talk about today. I am also breaking down the world of lift surf skiing all year long in the Storm Skiing newsletter with breaking news, reporting, and analysis coming straight to your inbox. Stop getting your ski news from Facebook. Subscribe to the Storm Skiing newsletter instead. You can also follow the Storm on Twitter and Instagram at Storm Ski Journal. All right, before we get to that, quick partner message. Today's episode of the Storm Skiing Podcast is sponsored by CORE, Oregon State University's Center for the Outdoor Recreation Economy, the industry's premier workforce development partner. Ski season is now in full swing, which means more riders and more riders means more lift maintenance issues. I know a lot of you listening are leading large teams of lift maintenance pros, and I know you want them to succeed. Well, this is your solution. CORE's online ski lift maintenance training gives new and experienced lift mechanics the skills to become the technicians your resort needs. This self-paced, interactive, hybrid online training covers lift systems and operations, safety standards, preventative maintenance, and full NSAA Level 1 requirements. It is the most affordable lift maintenance training in the industry and includes industry expert sessions, on-site assessments, and all course materials. Sign up your lift maintenance team at beeve.es backslash storm so they know we sent you. That's B-E-A-V dot E-S backslash storm. Episode 115. Davey Ratchford, Vice President and General Manager of Snow Basin, Utah. What's the best ski area in America? Well, we could debate that one all day long. But who has the best base lodges in America? Anyone who's ever been there will tell you it's Snow Basin. So what? They're base lodges, dude. Yeah, I know. But whether you care about them or not, those buildings are symbolic of the care that the resort's longtime owners, the Holding family, 
have invested in the joint. We're talking here about a former Olympic host mountain, about a resort that is about to massively redevelop its base area to reshape itself into a true destination, about a ski area that already has one of the continent's best lift fleets with a tram, two gondolas, and four high-speed lifts, and just announced that it's installing a third six-pack this summer. And not a replacement lift, a brand new line that will ease crowding in the ski area's lights out strawberry section. Those elements alone would give us enough for a podcast. But as it turns out, Snow Basin's general manager also has a tremendous background story and an incredible energy to tell it with. This is a really, really good one. So I'm going to get right to it. Let's go. My guest today has been president and general manager of Snow Basin, Utah for five years. Founded in 1940, Snow Basin is the fourth oldest ski area in Utah. The resort offers 3,000 acres of terrain served by 12 lifts on a 3,000 foot vertical drop and averages 300 inches of snow per season. Snow Basin is one of two ski areas owned by the R. Earl Holding family and along with sister resort Sun Valley, joined the Icon Pass and Mountain Collective Pass for this ski season. Prior to joining Snow Basin's team in 2018, he spent more than seven years in various roles at Vail Resorts, including at Park City, Vail Mountain, and North Star. Davey Ratchford is my guest. Davey, welcome to the storm. Really excited to talk some Utah skiing with you this morning. How are you doing today? I'm great, Stuart. Thanks so much for having me. You know, I was in Utah over the weekend down at Deer Valley and Park City, and the forecast hadn't called for any snow. And I'm telling you, it never stopped snowing the entire time I was there from uh, Thursday evening to Sunday. Is it still firing out there? Did it ever stop snowing? You know, it's funny. Um, the snow, just like you said, unexpected snow seems to pop up all the time. It's it's bizarre. I I think I should have been a meteorologist because like, I think <laughs> things can just happen and everyone's okay with it. Uh, it, it has stopped right now. And I think we're going to be in a bit of a dry cycle for seven to 10 days, but it is beautiful, cold, and the snow is staying crisp. It's, it's great right now. You know, I mentioned that 300 inch annual average in the introduction and talking to your colleagues down in Park City and Deer Valley, they said that they've already blown past their annual average for the season. Where are you at at Snow Basin for 2022 to 23? So we're at 273 right now. Uh, and yeah, we, but also I think we don't record until we open and some of that early snow. I, I mean, I'm sure it's a, a little bit more than that, but, um, 270. We're not, we're not, <laughs> we're not really too concerned at this stage because it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> it's enough, right? It's enough. Yeah. So just stepping back here, besides the snowfall, there's obviously a lot more going on besides that, the ski area. How is the 2022 to 23 ski season going so far at Snow Basin, David? It's, uh, it's brilliant. It's, it's definitely a record for us. We've had, um, many records throughout the season already in both the earliest opening we've ever had and, you know, also the snowfall that we've seen early on, a, a great December. We're just coming into the end of January now. January will be a record month for us. So it, it's just been incredible. And, and you know, the, what we're seeing, I think, is is a, a good trend in the industry. It's funny, we, as, as leaders in the industry, we, you know, for a long time, we get concerned about, you know, is are there people coming to ski? Is there a future in skiing? Well, yeah, there is. There's a lot of people uh, using their season passes and getting many days in. And I think that's a really good trend. I, I think we as operators want to see people use their pass. Uh, 
and get their days in. And because that, that's, you know, that's what keeps the sport going. And it's really fun to see. So, you know, we're seeing record days use on their season passes. And I think that's a great trend everywhere. It's really interesting. And, you know, we're coming off a season where the National Skiery Association reported record visitation in America. And we've certainly seen this COVID-based or COVID-driven outdoor boom. How has that played out as snow base and how has business been these last three years? It's been great. Uh, we've been growing. Um, and, you know, for us, that's one of our key objectives is to, is to grow judiciously, right? Gr- grow in a way that makes sense for us and, and take our time. And we're very lucky to, that I, I work for a, a family that is very thoughtful about that. And we just look at the best possible scenarios to introduce Snow Basin to, to many people, but do it in a way that makes sense and in a way that's a, you know, keeps the experience really high. And it, it's a real value to both myself as the operator and then uh, our employees and our, our guests that come up. So for us, it's been great. Um, last couple of years have, have, you know, pushed us to innovate and create new experiences for our guests, but it's been, it's been great. And Snow Basin has some really exciting mega projects coming up that I want to get into a little bit later to accommodate that measured growth. But first, I want to step back here a little bit, Davey, because I think you have a really interesting background. As I mentioned in the intro, you've worked in some of the major ski markets in America, Tahoe and Utah and in Colorado. Curious where you were coming from with that. Where did you grow up? Did you grow up skiing? No. So I'm from, I'm from Ireland. I grew up in Dublin and I'm the youngest of six kids. <laughs> My dad's the oldest wow. of 13 kids. Wow. Um, he, he left school when he was 11 and we just kind of, you know, made it work. I'm, I'm from a very, very um, poor area of Ireland and uh, grew up in, in, a, in a great place. A lot of love, um, a lot of, you know, to, to get out from under that was a bit of a bit of a miracle, to be honest. And, and so I was very lucky. I, I, I had a, an opportunity to get to America when I was 13 and came here, uh, went to high school, eventually made my way to Utah. And my first ski experience was at Beaver Mountain in northern mm-hmm. Utah in jeans and a very lightweight jacket, no helmet, obviously, because I was, you know, an idiot. And... Um, and definitely fell down the mountain and uh, loved it and had a great, great experience. But no, I did not, to answer your question, did not grow up skiing. <laughs> in fact, I grew up in, uh, in poverty and, and uh, in Dublin. And no, th- this running a ski resort was not in my stars. That was not, that was not uh, what I thought I would do. I, I, my, I had a career in, in soccer and, um, and I, I thought that's what it was, but, but very luckily, um, was able to shift gears and have some great opportunities. I've, I've had a, a very lucky run and, uh, a very around some great people that have kind of guided me throughout. Gosh, that's so interesting, Davey. If I can ask, what did bring you to America at age 13? So I was, I, I didn't, we didn't have anything in Ireland and, um, I give my dad a lot of credit, right? So he, we didn't have much and, um, and then he didn't, obviously he left school when he was 11. So no kind of formal education, but we worked, we were, we were workers and, um, we had a chance. My sister married an American at the time and that gave us an opportunity to get our, our green cards. It was a lottery system back then. And he came in and, um, I give my, as I said, I give my dad a lot of credit because it was not easy, right? He, he took his, he took his, his licks as we'd say and, um, he made it work and got us a little apartment, uh, made our way, way out west to Utah. And it was myself and my two brothers and my sister. So four of us, um, 
and my parents in a two bedroom apartment in Logan, Utah. Mm, wow. and, um, my brother and I shared a mattress in the corner. My other brother was on the couch. My sister had the bedroom, of course, and my parents had the other one. And we figured out how to live in America. And we just worked, got jobs. And I was, you know, the first one to go to college and to, you know, make an opportunity for myself. And, and that that's because of America. I, I would not have had that opportunity in Ireland at the time. And not to take anything away from Ireland. It's an amazing place, but just my circumstances wouldn't have allowed that. And so I think the sacrifice of my parents um, gave me an opportunity and it kind of launched me, which I'm incredibly grateful for. So you're all living in Logan and, and sharing that mattress with your brother. And, you know, Beaver Mountain is right there. And, and I've hosted Travis Seaholzer, the third generation owner of, yeah. of Beaver Mountain on the podcast. It's an amazing little operation. What drew you up there? Was it curiosity? Did you have a buddy who said, hey, let's go try this? What what got you on skis for that first day? Oh, that's a great question. I had I had a couple of friends that were skiers that were great. Yeah. Uh, Steve Niederhauser, Joey Rylands, John Huber, all these guys, if they hear this, they were they were good <laughs> to me. They saw some uh, Irish kid that uh, didn't no one could understand and um they said well we have you know we have some old equipment that i squeezed into it um and they brought me up there and these guys i remember it so vividly it's so funny i haven't talked about this in so long but i remember steve um we were skiing down and i see this little thing in the trees just jump and all of a sudden he does a 360 off that thing and i'm like i'm around like superheroes these people are unbelievable <laughs> and the whole time i'm falling and freezing cold and um not enjoying myself at all. I, I sure I got a concussion that day. Like it was bad. Oh, wow. Um, but it was so unique, right? Like it felt like it's this whole other world that I would never have seen or experienced. And then, you know, you go back a couple more times and all of a sudden you're linking turns and, you know, I probably should have got a lesson. I would recommend everybody <laughs> go get a lesson and wear a helmet. Oh my goodness. Um, but you know, my friends were, were just, they grew up in it, um, in Utah and, they they showed me something that you know made made a connection that years later came to a career which is which is wild. So you get the bug. Did that infect your whole family? Were you able to pull pull some of your siblings or your parents into it? No, no, that was hilarious. They all no, it was it was not that. It was they all, and I was the youngest of of those kids. So they they all started working, and and I my career started um, kind of blossoming and and. No, I, I, I did take my two brothers, um, skiing and my, my brother that still lives in Dublin came over and, and he looked like he was going to barrel through everybody. So I got him <laughs> off too quick. Uh, my other brother doesn't know how to stop. Um, okay. and so I got him off. So I, I've offered lessons many times, but no, they, they did not catch the bug like I did. <laughs> so as you mentioned, you went away to college. Did you go to college in Utah? And then after you graduated, did you go immediately into skiing or did your career take you somewhere else? Yeah. No, I, I, I graduated from the University of Utah and my career started kind of blowing up in, in Utah. And the, the, I was, I was again, very lucky. I, I was more in the marketing and business strategy side of things. And doing a lot of really cool projects. And then um, I got a call because Major League Soccer was bringing a team to Utah, um, Real Salt Lake. And so you got an Irish kid with that sort of background who played soccer and at a high level and then also was a uh, somebody that could you know build brands and build businesses. And so it was kind of a unique combination. And they hired me early on and I was I helped create a professional soccer team in Utah and got a stadium built and 
I was really young. I had no idea what I was doing with Stuart. If I'm being honest, like I, I gave a TED talk years ago. Well, Valor has this amazing program with, we call them TED talks within Vail resorts and uh, these leadership constructs. They're unbelievably good. And I gave this talk about imposter syndrome, um, which I think a lot of people has. And that, that was me, right? I'm, I'm this young Irish kid who has no business helping build a major league soccer team. Like just it makes no sense. Uh, but we did well and we won a championship in 2009. I, ha I have one of those really gaudy big rings, which is hilarious because I'm never going to wear that. And I feel like it's, you know, stolen valor for the admin guys to get a, uh, get a ring that the players really deserved. And, um, but it was an amazing time. And I, I did the, the professional soccer thing for a long time. And then I got recruited into the industry, the ski industry from that. You know, the, the MLS background is really interesting. I hosted Lonnie Gleiberman, who is the owner Ooh. of this really unique ski area in Michigan, Mount Bohemia, on the podcast a few months ago. And he, he had a background in the CFL. And he made the comparison of why the CFL failed in its expansion attempts in the United States to MLS. And he said MLS was, was willing to lose money for a while. Mm -hmm. And they knew that if they did that, they would establish their market share and they would eventually grow it. So it's really interesting that you were part of that. And the reason I bring this up, it's it really has been amazing to watch Major League Soccer grow in the United States and establish itself. And I'm, I'm wondering, I guess, two things. Number one, as, as part of that, and it sounds like a big part of it coming out of the ground, why did you leave it? And the second part of that is how did building something up in that scrappy sort of unlikely way inform the way that you entered skiing and, and managed your ski career? Oh, those are great questions. Um, well, one, I'll say there's a couple of things you said there that, yeah, the MLS was willing to lose money for the greater good, right, long term. And I, I think that mirrors the ski industry very well. Um, <laughs> right. I think that that is correct. It's what That's what we've all seen. Um, I think there was a, an inevitability to the growth of soccer in America, right? Like it, it just it just takes time. And, and so for me, it was, it was good timing and it was good opportunity. But to your point of, of why did I leave? You know, it, that was a singular moment. Um, that job I had was very desirable. It was, there was a lot of eyeballs on it. It was, it was one of those kind of popular jobs. That's what I describe them as. And just, you know, I, I was, I was able to be known in that, in that career. But, um, I had just had our fourth child, my wife and I, and, I traveled a lot and I was gone a lot. And I was literally, I remember this, Stuart, I was in the hospital. Uh, we just had our baby Claire and I'm in the um, kind of just in the, the cafeteria, just trying to catch, you know, catch some catch up on work. And my phone was blown up and, you know, one of the leaders of the club was just all over me. And I remember thinking, man, they know I'm here. They know I'm having a baby. Right. And um, it was just that type of work. It wasn't nothing taken away from it. It's just, it's nonstop. It is not. It, 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 to be a family guy, it, that's, that's a tough world um, to balance it all. And I made this mental decision just right there. I said, I don't think long-term this is for me. And that was crazy at the time because of how big it was getting and how, mo how involved I was in it. And I was like, I think I just don't want this. And then a week later, uh, the recruiter called and it was not on my radar at all. And, you know, I, they were like, you know, we, we like your background. We like a lot of things you've done would you be interested in talking to us? And I was like, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. And, um, but somebody, I, I will say what, what made that connection for me was, uh, Bill Rock, who is the president of Vail Resorts right now and, and a, a very dear friend and a great mentor to me in the ski industry. Um, he was at North Star and uh, he, that's, that was my first 
uh, position there. And he said something to me that will, that will, I say to everybody that will hear me. It said, if you have a chance to raise your family in the mountains, you should, uh, you should take that. And that to me has been the, one of the best bits of advice I've ever had. And, and I've been able to do that in some amazing markets. And so I took that leap and, um, had no idea what I was doing, but figured it out pretty <laughs> quick. And, um, yeah, that was, that seems like a long time ago now. <laughs> That's an interesting transition. You know, I, I, I no, no one's described the ski industry to me as having a super great work-life balance, especially in the winter. It, you know, most mountain managers I talk to, I was talking to Todd Bennett at Deer Valley, new head of Deer Valley over the weekend, and he said he's had three days off since November. So it, were you able to find that balance when you moved? And, and, and what was that first job like in, in moving your young family with four kids out of Utah? It was wild. It's what we knew, right? We knew Utah. We had family. We had we had structure. We had support. And then we went up to Tahoe. And, you know, there's not a lot of families with four kids running around in Tahoe. And right. um, and we it was a, it was a challenge for sure. And yeah, you're you know, Todd's correct. There, it is. It's 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 never ending. Right. The work. I think that what's different about it as a, you know, trying to raise a family in the industry is you can include your family in it. Mm. And, and that to the point that, you know, having my kids there, you know, skiing with them while I'm working and, you know, connecting the dots as you're doing it, um, is one of the great blessings of the ski industry is that you can, it, it's, um, it's something that you can share. And, and as life went on and how that became even better for me was, um, they became my employees. <laughs> so they became a workforce for me. So at one point I had three of my kids working at, at here at Snow Basin. Amazing. And, um, I loved it. Right. Cause you know, they, I could see them. I could, I can interact with them and check on them. I can see it. It's amazing to see your kids work. Right. And what their personalities are like. And, and so you're, it's right. The industry is relentless. It is not in the winter, especially it is tough. I, same thing as Todd. I've, you work every day. It never ends as a general manager. You're always on, but the fact that I can include my family in it is something really special. And, you know, have them pop into my office and grab their gear and go up on the mountain is it just it connects it. And even just that time is just valuable. Um, and so, yeah, I could work at nine to five and go home and try to see the kids and be as present as I can. Or I can include them in the life. And you've just been able to do that. And it, it's kind of worked out amazingly. That's so interesting, Davey. And as you moved around from Tahoe and then I think Colorado next and then Utah, how did your family, how was that for your family? Like the, the family dynamic, I find that, you know, I have two kids and I find that when we take these big long vacations together in the summer with my wife and we really come together in a way around this adventure that maybe we don't necessarily at home. So what was it like to to have your wife and I don't know if you stopped at four or if you had more kids, but but just to share that big adventure with them across the years and going and living in these amazing mountain environments. Yeah. It, um, I'm glad you asked that. Cause it, it's, you know, and I hope, you know, my, I'll make sure my wife hears this when it comes out. Cause uh, so she knows <laughs> it was, it was great for us as a family and, you know, everyone, every, everyone that's hearing this, right. That has a family, they know there's ups and downs. It's challenging. Every family does. Right. And for us, you know, we were worried about the dynamic of moving the kids. And, and yeah, I, I was at North Star for two years and then they asked me to go to Vail Mountain. I went to Vail Mountain and then Park City, you know, we purchased that and 
uh, Bill Rock and I were asked to go in and help the integration of Park City, one of the hardest things ever in the industry, right. uh, if you know the history of that. And each time, you know, it's my wife and I would sit with the kids. And, um, and you know, what's interesting is in those ones, there, there wasn't some sort of major um, promotion or pay you more. In fact, everything stayed flat for me, but the opportunities were you know, to go to be at Vail Mountain and to see the history there and what that operation's like. And then to, to lead, you know, the integration and to do a lot of the work with, with Bill in, in Park City was something you can't, you can't get those lessons really anywhere else, right? They're, they're some of the hardest and biggest things to do in the industry. And so I'd sit with my wife and we would talk about it and we said, this is an amazing opportunity, but it's difficult. And each time my kids had a say and they are incredible. Um, they're well adjusted, they're thoughtful, and they challenge themselves um, to really see what's possible. And they they push themselves, which I, I was really impressed by. And each time it's been supportive. They're like, heck yeah, let's try something new. That's brilliant. And so it's, they're, yeah, they've met people from all over the world now. They have friends in multiple states as young kids. And so, and now I have a, a daughter in college. And I, I'll tell you, I think that experience set her up for a lot of success because going away to school is not easy. And um, they, they've been able to make friends with all walks of life. And I think that came from that experience. It's a really interesting perspective, Davey. And, and it, it sounds like you, you and your family have become very adept at turning what I think would be a big challenge for a lot of folks into, into positives, right. And, and, and making this story about, rising to it and, and, and embracing whatever's ahead of you. So you have this really good run of Vail resorts and then the snow basin opportunity comes up. So how does that enter your life and why did you decide, okay, it's time to leave Vail resorts, go run something different? Well, you know, I, it's a great question. So I went through um, this leadership program at, at Vail, as I mentioned earlier, and it, it truly is incredible. It was a, a year long thing that they do and they, they, they pick some up and coming leaders and they invest in them. And to the point that you have, you know, therapy and in, in, in all the right ways, don't take that the wrong way. Like all, just that leadership development stuff where you're, you're learning how to believe in yourself and really take on hard projects. And, and Vail did that for me. And I, I, I can never thank them enough. It was, I, I rose the ranks. I was taking on a lot of big projects and I was doing a lot of the big heavy lifting on things. And, and it was amazing. And I had no ill wishes, no problems, no issues. There was never a problem with anything there. In fact, I, I was very lucky to work with great people. And Kirsten Lynch was my, my boss and, and she is, she's the real deal. Um, like she is really brilliant and truly an amazing leader. Um, and has, you know, all the right ideas and all the right principles to kind of guide that company. She's, she's incredible. And, and, and I was able to be, you know, tutored by her, right? Like she just gave me great advice all the time. And it got to a point, right? Your career can do this. And I give people this advice all the time. It got to a point to where there's these inflection points and decisions that you make. And for me, it was most likely to move back to Broomfield and to have more of a centralized leadership role. And I remember in my head, I was like, I'm built to lead large operations and large groups. I can stand on the stage and try to inspire and help motivate. And I can lead from being out front. I like pouring soup and bumping chairs. And I like doing the things I, I like um, showing my team how to do it. Right. And, and I, I remember that that opportunity would have been more difficult at Vail because they have a bit of a path, right? Operations, had a bit of a, a unique path and I was behind the scenes on the business side of things. And 
but you know, making that leap was challenging. And there was a leader at, at VR that said, no, I don't know if that could ever be in the future um, because it was, you know, it's just not the way we do things. And so that was in the back of my head going, well, if that's what I want, how do I do that? And similar to, you know, being in that cafeteria at Real Salt Lake, um, uh, not too long after that, um, they folks from Snow Basin called and said, you know, we'd be interested to in see if you would lead our team and our group. And, and I, I, it was exactly perfect timing. Um, I remember, you know, again, I had one of those jobs that you just don't walk away from at VR and it was really hard to do because I, I loved, I loved everybody there. I, I had great relationships, still have great relationships um, and had a lot of respect for the way they are trying to create long-term skier visits, right? Long, like long-term skier visits. And it was, it was tough to leave, but I remember coming to Snow Basin. I, <laughs> I saw the mountain and I was like, I, is, is this really like, <laughs> is this for real? Like it is, Stewart is so beautiful here and an amazing mountain and an incredible culture and a family that, that cares. And they wanted me to run their mountain. And I was 40, I think at the time and young and hadn't, you know, I had a lot of experience luckily, but you know, it's still a gamble every time, right? It's still a gamble to look at this again, this poor little Irish kid and say, can he, can he be the one that takes us to new heights? And, um, you know, it's been really good to sit back and, and even to the point, right, where I, I, I look at myself and go, can I, you know, could I have done that, at, you know, at VR? Well, yeah, could I, can you, once you, once you know how to lead a resort, you can, you can lead resorts, right? You can, you can help structure where they need to go and create a really strong, positive culture, hopefully. And we've been able to do that at Snow Basin and I'm, I'm really glad. I love it. I absolutely love my job. Um, it's, it's, it's really good. And it's probably similar to you doing what you do now and you're good at it is you found out what you're supposed to be doing and you're so glad you're doing it, right? Like this is what I'm meant to do. And I, I love it. And I'm continually learning. It never stops <laughs> every day. I, there, it's funny. I tell these stories now. I'm like, there was never really a, how to be a general manager playbook. Well, turn to page 12 <laughs> And deal with this crazy thing that you never thought you'd ever deal with. And now, even just five years, I'm thinking, man, I don't think there's anything that will shock me anymore. Um, <laughs> it, you just you, you just write the playbook for yourself, and it's it's uh, it's been a wild and incredibly rewarding adventure. So let's talk a little bit about the mountain and and what you walked into. So the you mentioned the ownership and the holding family, as I mentioned in the introduction, owns Snow Basin and also Sun Valley. And they've owned Snow Basin since 1984. Talk a little bit about the holding family, Davey, and what it's like to work for them and their passion for Snow Basin. Oh, um, so in the family, there, there was Earl who passed away uh, several years ago and then his wife, Carol Holding, and they have three kids and then a bunch of, you know, grandkids. And um, I remember when I, when I was hired and, and this might set the, the story up because it's truly incredible. Um, Mrs. Holding is an, an amazing woman and is sharp. She knows everything that's going on at the resorts. She is, and, and she used to work here, right? She'd flip burgers and, oh, wow. uh, she, she'd sell things from the retail store. I mean, she's, she's, she's an original, right? Like she is absolutely amazing. And she, so she knows everything about it. And I was hired. And I, I remember being in our lodge and I had all the employees there and she was introducing me and it was, it was an amazing experience. And I remember 
uh, I was kneeling down next to her chair and I said, you know, Mrs. Holding, thank you for the opportunity. And she, she's so, she grabs your hands. She, so just visualize, she grabs both your hands and she holds them in tight to her. And she, that's how she talks to you. And that's how like, it's this amazing moment. And I said, I just want to make sure I'm doing exactly what you want me to do for, for you and Earl's legacy of snow basin. Cause I know how much they love it, right? Since 1984, they've, and I, I said, you know, I just want to make sure I'm doing exactly what you want me to do to maintain that legacy. And I said, can I ask you, you know, just your advice. And this is exactly what she said to me in word for word. She said, be nice and hire nice people. And every employee orientation since then, I've said that. I said, our job is to be nice and, 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 and to hire nice people. So we're going to be nice and we're going to figure out how to do it, even when people are not nice. And there's some, there's some very not nice people out there. Um, how, how do we do it? And what's, what's really awesome. And this is just to come full circle on it. At, and on opening day, Mrs. Holding and her, her, you know, she's, she's now, uh, you know, she struggles to get around. So we, we have her in a wheelchair and she, but she wanted to come up on opening day and she, she's not able to see as well anymore. And so when I got there and I, I'm pushing her around snow basin on opening day this year, she, she said, you know, please describe everything you see to me because I can't see as well anymore. And so I'm describing happy people and people are coming up and everyone knows her, right? They love her because Snow Basin is a gift to the world, right? It's an amazing thing that they've invested in and put their blood, sweat and tears into, right? And and people would come up and be like, thank you so much. It was so amazing to see and it was so good for her. But this is, Stuart, this is true. Employees would come up to her and say, thank you for asking us to be nice. And that's what we want to be. Like, so her motto to me five years ago, what she wanted when she walked around with me on opening day of this year, everyone, like I, it wasn't a setup, I promise. Like they, they were, it was just part of our culture and they would come up and say, thank you for encouraging us to be nice. That's what we want. And you could see how meaningful that was to her, that what she wants out of this was, was happening and it was in the culture and it was natural and it felt correct and it felt right. It was so, it was such a great moment for me to, to be with her in that moment because she was so happy. And I got a amazing, she types notes back, like it's on a typewriter. And I got this note in the mail and from her experience there and, and saying it was one of the best times she's ever been to Snow Basin was just to see, you know, for her simple things, right? The, the legacy of a good, an honest culture coming to, to life in the ski business and, and, and that it's her, right? She created that. And I, I give her all the credit. It's, it's an amazing thing to work for a family like that, that care in that way. That's just an unbelievable story, Davey. And, and that echoes a lot of what I heard from your colleagues, Pete Sontag, the general manager up at Sun Valley, your sister resort, when I hosted him on this podcast a few months ago. And I want to put the same question to you that I did to him. And and that's around looking at the holding family's long-term commitment to the resorts, because we're in an era of consolidation. Obviously, you've experienced that firsthand working at Vail Resorts, and now we have Altera also buying up resorts, and there's some other large players as well. As you interact with the holdings, what is your sense about their commitment to keeping Snow Basin independent as part of this little two-resort company long-term? Yeah, I think they're... Uh fiercely independent. <laughs> I think they, um, they are, yeah, they're very committed. I mean, I always laugh, right? I, I remember, um, you know, I was part of those things that at VR where we purchased resorts and everyone would flip out and everyone gets worried and everyone, 
you know, they worry about the consolidation. The question I always asked when people had that, the question I always asked back, I was like, well, why was it available to buy? Mm-hmm. Right. right. It's a great question. Like, yeah. why, why were these resorts available to buy? And I think part of it is, you know, the math, the math is tough. Um, people, if they only knew, right. And I, yeah. I, th- I always say, I, I think my job in any, and anyone's job, right. Is to, to remove the question mark about those sort of questions you ask, like, you know, a, a consolidation is, well, if we can create a, a viable business that is self-sustaining and does well, then if you're an owner, you don't have that question. Right. You don't have that concern. And I think what is amazing is that what I see out of the, the family here is their commitment to the to the resort. I mean, when you come to Snow Basin, um, you look around. We do this now. We have people that come up and they don't ski and there's nowhere to stay just yet. Right. So they come up and they just to look at the buildings to go look. They wow. literally go on a tour of our bathrooms mm-hmm. um, <laughs> because it, which is completely illogical right that makes no sense but we have really good bathrooms and amazing facilities and you look at it and go okay this doesn't make sense well it's because the holdings um if you're if you know their commitment to the resorts are such that they're going to put in the best quality things all the time uh it's who they are because they care about the long-term legacy of the experience and i i love that there's not we don't compromise um we create a really really great experience with the right types of investments and i i love that about them and so our job i think anyone's job is to always stay in front of that question and i think what i see every day is just the 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 long-term commitment to keeping sun valley and snow base and fiercely independent and uh proud of what we how we set ourselves apart because it is a very unique special experience a big part of that legacy, Davey, and, and the Holding family's legacy is the Snow Basin is one of the few American mountains that has hosted Olympic events. And that was in 2002. And as I mentioned in the intro, the ski area dates to 1940. But as far as its stature, its profile, the infrastructure on the mountain, all of that underwent a renaissance leading up to those 2002 Olympics. Now, I appreciate you've only been at the mountain for five years, and, and this was before your time. But what can you tell us about the role that Snow Basin played in those Olympic Games and how that legacy has since redefined the mountain and the way it skis and, and the way folks experience it? Yeah, another great question. I, you know, I think, I mean, I, I wouldn't be as bold to say that there wouldn't have been an Olympics without Snow Basin, but there are certain aspects to our terrain that allowed for, for things like the downhill, right, which still today is one of the best and we keep it going, right? We, that's what's great about these Utah resorts is we're able to keep that Olympic legacy going with the, the, you know, the structure, the infrastructure that we have. Um, yeah, Snow Basin played a huge role in the 2002 Olympics and not just that the family did with building, you know, the Grand America major hotel site in Salt Lake City, like nothing that's ever been there before. Um, which, you know, was there done also for the Olympics and, so the, the holding family had a massive commitment and support of the 2002 Olympics. And, and, you know, it is amazing to see. Um, I think there's certain families in American skiing history that will go down and of what they've done for the sport. And, you know, Sun Valley and Snow Basin have their own legacies that people can look back on. But the Olympics in 2002, I think, you know, Snow Basin very, very much was a huge part of that and hopefully is a huge part of it in the future, too. So as I mentioned, I was at Deer Valley and Park City over the weekend, and each of those mountains also co-hosted events with Snow Basin for the 2002 Olympics, and they had markers all over the place. Now, I've not been up to Snow Basin to see, but 
how proud is Snow Basin of that legacy, that Olympic legacy, and how do you mark that at the mountain? You know, it's interesting that the marking side of things is so nebulous. Like sometimes like, are you allowed to do that? Are you not allowed to do that with the, with the Olympics? And we talk about that all the time because we're, we're working obviously through a bid process for 2030 or 2034 right now. And so we don't have a huge amount of Olympic history. It's obviously on our website, but, but we also don't have a lot of like, uh, it's going to sound so ski resorts have um, a lot of signage. Right. And a lot of branding and a lot of different things that, uh, you know, whether it's a sponsor or a partner, whatever it might be, we don't have any of that. Um, mm-hmm. And we keep the venue very, 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 very clean. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, that's not disparaging anybody else because it's all part of the overall experience. Right. Because you have partners that help uh, help the the operation through their collective enterprise, right? Whether it's Helly Hansen or whether it's a car manufacturer, whatever it might be that's out there, some great brands that are connected. We just choose to make it about the ski experience. And so it's very, very clean at both Sun Valley and Snow Basin. And so, yeah, the Olympic legacy isn't, I guess, on show. What is, is the continued investment in those runs. So the men's and women's runs at the, at the resort, uh, the fact that we continue to groom them, and allow people to go, you know, test themselves on those runs is, is a commitment to our Olympic has, uh, heritage. And, and, you know, we, it's been fun to go through these discussions with the group now and look to the future and, you know, what, uh, what, you know, what position Snow Basic can hold in, in the future of the Olympics for, for Utah. And we, we feel really good about it. So if the Olympic Games do return to Utah, and it seems like they likely will within the next 15 years here, is Snow Basin interested in reprising its role as a, as an event host? Yes. Yeah. We've had that discussion. We've been, we've been spending time with them for almost two years, man, three years, maybe in, in early discussions. We're in the process as in most resorts are with what VUAs or venue use agreements where you, you go through a lot of the technical side of things and it's so challenging, right? Cause you, you work on these things um, as they are right in 2023 and yet the event is, years and years and years away. And so, you know, trying to predict out what things will be like, you know, seven to 10 years, seven to, uh, you know, 11 years from now, it could be really challenging. So those venue use agreements are, are tricky, but we have, we're very much in, interested, involved, connected with both Deer Valley and, and Park City and ourselves and, and having another run at it. And I think what's great about this and what I personally see in the Olympic future is these repeat venues because we do it well. We're, we're known for it. We had an amazing Olympics in 2002 and, you know, we, we know we'd pull off a fantastic event. And so, yeah, to answer your question, we're very much committed to it. Uh, would love to see it happen. I think our community would love to see it happen. It's, it's an interesting thing because these Olympics, they have an effect right on that ski season and, and sometimes even prior and post ski seasons where people get anxious, like, will it affect my personal ski experience? And the reality is you can do both. Um, you can have both and you can have those ski experiences. And there is some adjustment. And I know that's hard for, for some people and people don't like to see their ski experience adjusted in any way. But everyone, I think the greater good of, of bringing that attention to Utah again would be a fantastic thing. So in the meantime, whether the Olympics return to Snow Basin or not, you are busy. And earlier this month, or maybe it was December, but the Mountain recently announced a new high-speed six-pack, not mm. a replacement, a brand-new lift, the Des Moines Express, coming to Snow Basin this summer. Super exciting project. 
Lay this out for us, Davey. Where will this new lift be and how will it help evolve the ski experience at Snow Basin? So since literally day one, uh, hearing feedback. So general managers are, um, we are, we're basically like the comment box, right? Like we, we hear <laughs> everything. Um, and it's not, and I love it. We're like everywhere you go, it is just feedback. And by the way, little note to future GMs out there, like don't, don't live in a neighborhood that has like 80% season pass base. <laughs> you, uh, you, you will get knocks on your door, uh, all the time. So, uh, that lift has been in the plans for some time. Um, in fact, it was, it had forest service approval all the way back in 2009. And, you know, as life happens and things change at the resort and, you know, volumes change up and down and, um, all sorts of different things happen at a ski area that kind of complicates issues. We got to a point this, this, this last year where we were able to get that finally over the finish line. Uh, Strawberry, for those that don't know, that area, what we call Strawberry is about a third of our terrain. It is beautiful. It's amazing skiing. And it's a challenge for us because with winds that we deal with out there, uh, the current gondola that we have out there, which is an amazing lift, can be challenged with winds. And uh, so this lift is a, gives us the opportunity to mitigate that greatly in, in a, so more consistency to the terrain. It's a new six pack that we're building with Palma, which we did a, a lift just two years ago, the new Middle Bowl Express, which is an incredible lift. Um, we built with them and really changed a lot of the central core of the mountain with that lift. This lift will be similar. Uh, what it does for us, which is amazing, is that if you ride that, so the bottom terminal is very similar to the bottom terminal of the, of the gondola that's existing. And the top terminal is nestled in a, a wind protected area that you can access about 85, 80 to 85% of the, of the whole strawberry ski pod. So, you can ride the gondola back up if you want and, and take that extra 15% in, or you can ride the new Des Moines Express and, and get about 80, 85% of the mountain of that terrain. But it also allows you to get back to the front side right there. So where it drops off, there'll be a connector run that, that takes you back to the central front part of the mountain. So people can just ride the lift and then be on the front side, which, you know, before that, there was a bit of a traverse to get back. Um, nothing crazy, but just more of a ski journey. So you can do it with a lift now if you'd like. And it's going to be an amazing enhancement for our guests. It's been since day one requested, like nonstop. Um, and so the fact that we were able to announce it, uh, I think it's just, it's, it's a great thing for our community. It's a great thing for our pass holders. They know the train very, very well. And this will be, this will be amazing for them. So there's a couple different reasons why skiers install new lifts these days. One is to draw more people, right, and, and create more capacity. And another is to kind of mitigate lines and and get and improve the skier experience for the folks who are there. And that's what Big Sky is doing up in Montana, where they built an eight pack out of the base, a six pack out of the base, and now they're building a gondola out of the base. So they'll have something like ten thousand skiers per hour moving out of the base. As you look at your motivation for building Des Moisey, just talk about what you hope to achieve there and as it relates just to overall skier volume and also just the experience of the strawberry gondola and lines there. Yeah, great question. So I think that the first and foremost is because of those wind holes, uh, a whole third of the train can become pretty inactive if we have a wind hold out there. And so this will mitigate that. So for me, being able to open up a, a third of our train and have more consistency on that is huge. It allows us to open earlier and close later because of where that lift is of that train also. Um, so you're getting 
more consistent days for longer uh, for a skier visit. So one, allow, and again, there's all sorts of things that that benefits. It benefits skier safety, spreading people out. It benefits um, any downtime that we might see on the gondola and having a, a backup. A, there's a there's a, a, a safety measure, right? If the gondola goes down, then we can get people out on the Moise. There's, there's so many positives that come with this lift. It's hard to name just one, um, there's many things that it's a, it's a valuable lift. And then, and I, as I've looked at it and looked at our history and looked at where we put lifts, I think it's going to be one of the most instrumental lifts in our history. Um, it, it just, it's kind of perfectly positioned. Um, and it's incredibly meaningful to, to our skier experience. The, the lines, what's interesting is we don't, I always laugh about lines, right? Cause the perception of it and, and what that looks like. But if, if you're on a Saturday and a powder day, which seems to happen a lot these days. Um, when the rope drops and you head down to strawberry, yeah, there's going to be a line um, mm-hmm. for sure. And it, there is like that at any ski resort when there's that pent up demand and you have that happening. So being able to give another lift, another option out of there and, and in essence, you know, double the uphill capacity in that section alone is, is huge. And every resort, right, has these numbers and they look at it, the comfortable carrying capacity and our uphill Luckily at Snow Basin, we don't come close to that number. Um, we can have big days like everybody else. We can have, and we've had them this year for sure. Uh, a lot of people using their season passes, which is awesome. Um, and I think for us, it's, it's, you're learning that balance. Okay. How do we, how do we continue to have a great positive ski experience uh, and allow people to come here and, and use their passes as much as possible, but also not wait in line all day. And, I think there's an evolution. I think people are used to just walk at Snow Basin, walking on every lift every day of the week and not ever waiting. And now there's a little bit of a wait because I laugh. I, 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 was, I was in line the other day uh, with actually a guy that I know, again, one of my neighbors. And uh, I'm walking by. He's like, Davey, you got to stop. Stop having people come here. I like, this, this dude, like, stop it. And I said, I won't say his name on this because you might be listening, but I said, okay, well, give me your pass. Go home. Uh, right. Cause it's him, right? Like it's, it's, that's what I always think it's funny. It's like, well, you're here um, and you're using your pass, but it is interesting. Like the ski experience, it's so personal. One thing I was going to say, you were talking about the parallels between major league soccer and skiing. And I've said this from the very beginning, soccer has incredible fans, right? It's known for that around the world. Like just people that go wild. They love it. They have this fervor, this, absolutely amazing connection to their teams. It's nothing like skiing. Skiing is way more. Uh, I, I, and here's the other thing is those fans stay in the stands. They stay in the stands and they shout and they scream. Skiing fans do the sport and they're out on the field, right? They're doing it every day. So you take that passion and the fact that they're still playing, right? Air quotes, they're still doing the sport uh, all the way up to being a hundred years old, which we've had many times this year. Uh, people that are still skiing, you're like, yeah, they're, they're pretty passionate. They'll let you know what they want. That's so interesting. You, you know, there's, uh, there's been a rise along with the internet of sort of fan culture. And there was, for example, the last Star Wars movie that came out. Don't, don't get mad at me, Star Wars fans, but I don't remember the name of it. But, but the Star Wars, hard, Star Wars hardcore were sort of mad at it, mad about it and demanding they redo it. It sounds like what you're saying is skiing has a similar sort of fan driven culture. How, hard does that make your job? And, and how do you manage that? How do you manage the thousands of pass holders who think that they can run the mountain as well as you can? Well, um, you know what I did? I was funny. I did this the other day. I, I was, I was on Instagram and, 
I, I dare venture into that space sometimes. And I, I saw, I saw one comment and it was just, it is amazing. The rumors and the things people think I, I, I'm blown away and I'm a pretty open book. Right. So I'm like, so I, I, I responded to one guy and he was just, it was a, it was a big powder day and it was crazy. And I think we, we were an hour delayed opening because of avalanche and you could hear the bombs going off everywhere. And most people understand, they sit back and go, okay, safety first that, you know, we have to make sure we have a, we, you know, we can never have an incident. So we're, we're always going to be abundantly safe. And, uh, you know, most people get that. And this one guy was like, you know, you knew there was a storm coming. How can you not be this prepared? And you're an hour delayed. And, and I'm in my mind, I'm like, oh my, all that is, is just education. So what I do is I'm like, well, why don't you come on up and I'll, let's, I'll show you behind the scenes. Let's go take a look at it together. Okay. Um, let's go ski around and I'll, I'll take you out and we can take a look at it. And so you get to like, I'd rather people know, right. I, I there's no, people are savvy. They get it and they have strong opinions. Um, I, I, I'm always just like, listen, and this is my, my phrase. I'm like, Hey, if you just want to tell me what you feel and you don't want to answer your question, you just want to tell me what you're mad about. Cool. I'll sit and listen to you. But if you want an answer, I'm happy to give you the answer. Um, you may not like it. You may not agree with it, but you tell me, do you want to just be heard or do you want to learn something? And every time I do that, it's like, okay, uh, most people just want to be heard. Uh, and that's really it, right? They have their emotions. They, they have their feelings on things. They, they want to be right. And, um, most ski areas have the answers, right? <laughs> they yeah. know, they know the why, right? They're pretty good at what they do. Everybody cares. I always laugh. I'm like, it, you know, we're holding back terrain or the ski patrol just like to ski the powder themselves and they don't like to open up. I'm like, none of that is true ever. If there, <laughs> and my, if, if that was the case, we'd be the worst run resort ever. Like who does that? Like, why would you not, if you opening train is, equals success, right? Like it, it is, we would never do that. Uh, but safety is what matters. And, and I think some people, they don't understand that or they'll, you know, it's windy at the top, but not at the bottom and they can't see the wind and it doesn't make sense to them. And so we just do our best. How we mitigate it is try to communicate as best as possible. And, and generally myself and my senior team try to take on the real hard things because the, the frontline staff, they have a lot of information, but they don't have all the information and, you know, people, people can be pretty tough on them. And so I, like I say, everyone, I was like, we don't, you know, let, let's jump in and, and protect our staff a little bit from that. And, you know, take the hard blows because, you know, they don't, they don't deserve to get the feedback they get. Right. And, um, and it definitely has been on the rise. The, the amount of, um, in the last five years, the amount of kind of vitriol that's out there and what people believe and the, the justice of it all. Right. And the, the, they, they want to, they want to have their, their say and what's right and wrong. And our job is to do our best we can to listen and, and to create a, a, an environment for employees that they want to stay in. Um, I've lost a lot of employees to guests, um, mm. and that's a real issue. Um, and it's something we never talk about. Uh, all the leaders of ski areas, we all talk about it behind the scenes, but we don't, we don't talk about it openly because if you went online and said something like, Hey, we can all be a little bit nicer, <laughs> yeah. that, will, that will backfire on you pretty quick. Um, and so we, you know, all we try to do is listen, do the best we can. We, we make mistakes like everybody else for sure. Um, but we own it and we try to make it, try to make it right. And we try to be upfront and honest and give as much accurate information as we can. Did that random Instagram guy that you reached out to, I'm, I'm assuming it's a guy, um, <laughs> did he take you up on that offer to come see behind the scenes? 
Not, not yet, but I, I, you know what it is? People have done that though. And I'm really impressed by it. Like I, I, I have no problem. Like you want to come talk, you want to learn, like, again, it's just, all I know is, you know, once you learn something, once you have that information, I think for me, I'm like, well, now we're good, right? Like now you know what's going on. And what I've, what I've noticed is people just aren't, they still don't, you know, they're not, it doesn't satisfy them. Right. And I, I, you know, I hope he does. And I hope anyone does if they have, it's funny. I have the ladies in the retail shop. Um, I walk by them and I'm talking to them and there's always, you want to hear the new rumor? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. What's the new rumor? Well, you know, I heard we, I heard we found gold at Snow Basin and, um, and there's oil in them, their mountains. And that's why we're doing this and that. And I'm like, wow, these are like, uh, I love it. Like, and it's part of that culture of people sitting behind a computer and, and feeling a lot of power of their, their own mind. And, um, I sit back and I go, that's pretty simple. I, I have the answer if you want to know it. Um, it's pretty wild, but. Unbelievable. Oh, man, I, I could talk the conspiracy rabbit hole all day. But <laughs> but back to Des Moisey real quick. There's all kinds of ways you can do a six pack these days. Are you doing any fancy stuff on it? Heated seats, bubbles, or are you just going plain old lift? Uh, it's it's a very good lift, but we're not doing heated seats or bubbles. And, and we talked about that in that area. Um, part of it was, again, we, we wanted to mitigate any wind issues and, and some of those lifts can, with those bells and whistles can come with that. I, again, mm -hmm. a lot of them, it, it depends on the area, right? Every mountain's a little bit different in the, our area we we're a little worried about that. And so we are just doing a, a very good high speed six pack that, that yeah, people are going to love. So as you mentioned, this will be your second six pack in just two years. And the last one was middle bowl which you upgraded from a triple to a high-speed six-pack for the 21-22 ski season. Now that you've been living with that lift for a season and a half, are you happy with it? Did it achieve what you hoped that it would? Yes, 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 yes. Um, it's a it's a brilliant lift. Um, and not just that, we you know, we, we needed to do it, and, and it was our first time working with Poma. We'd mostly done everything with Doppelmeyer, and they're, they're amazing too. But, right, this was during COVID and – uh, parts and, you know, shipments and how to make it all work. And we really needed that lift in. And so we, we went with Poma because they could deliver on it. And it was an incredibly fast purchase delivery installation. Um, and they did an amazing job. Our team, luckily here on the ground is one of the best of what they do. Our, our lift maintenance team are top notch. And so working with them, we were able to get that lift done. It has, it really has evolved kind of the ski experience because you know, Snow Basin has a lot of top to bottom runs, right? Long runs, great runs. And, you know, it's what we're famous for. But that mid-mountain lift piece is essential. That That's really critical too is, you know, keep people from coming back to the base area. And, and that six-pack allows to take a lot of volume back up to the mountain, which spreads people out. So we've we've really loved it. It's always interesting, right, the challenging of a new lift. And especially more in the, the like the maze, um, the lift itself is great. Uh, but how we you know, bring people into that maze and how that works is always an evolution. Um, I'm sure we'll evolve it again because we just continue to learn and learn and learn. But the lift has, yeah, it has done exactly what we wanted it to do. And uh, it's been exceptional. So that puts you with a really high tech lift fleet, really advanced lift fleet, really one of the best in the country. Uh, not to be that guy, though, that that is yelling things on social media, but you do still have a couple of old triples dating yep. to 1986. You have Porcupine and Becker. Both of those lifts are pretty long, both over a mile. Becker rises around 1,300 vertical feet. Porcupine, 
around 1400 What's your thinking long-term, Davey, on upgrades for Becker and Porcupine, or are you happy with them as they are? Uh, both will be replaced. Um, so both of them will, we're, we're looking at a couple of different options and ideas, but yeah, both of them are at a, at a, at a point that we need to look at. They, they both serve a great purpose. Uh, they both are really valuable lifts for us. Uh, but they, they are, they're at a point where we need to look at some upgrades and doing some things. So Becker, the prevailing theory right now, and we've, we've been working, um, extensively on this. We already have plans of, of how to do this and replace it in our future. And I, and I, and I would say in a pretty short term future too. Um, Becker, what that allows us to do, that lift is really interesting because it's a really quick access to that strawberry area again. And it's also a, another down low lift. So we can get people um, to that lift pretty quick and then move them through that. The, the resort pretty, pretty amazing. But what's, what's also additionally good about that lift is part of the lift line alignment that we would have on that would allow us to widen a, a very, probably one of the most challenging areas of the mountain, a place called Bear Hollow. If I, if there were three things I was getting feedback on when I, on day one, it was build the Moisey lift and widen Bear Hollow or do something about Bear Hollow. Bear Hollow is an interesting area of the mountain because it's this convergence of uh, beginner ski skiers, advanced skiers, people that just converge in this one area just by nature of the way the mountain flows. Mm-hmm. And we, we try our best to push people off of that and, and, and get them into the trees or get them somewhere else right out of that area. And we, we've created a family zone there and, and that's a big deal for us. It's a very, we, we monitor that area very closely so the families feel safe in that area because it's just a lot of, a lot of different skiing ability that comes into it. Moving the Becker lift line allows us to then finally tackle the width of that area. So it has another benefit to it beyond just the lift. And then Porky is, is, is right after. So Porky and Becker, both are lifts that we're looking at replacing over the next couple of years. Um, the, the Porky one is funny because it doesn't access a, a huge amount of terrain, but it is beloved terrain. It is, um, and I, it's, it's candidly probably my favorite area to go ski. Um, it's just, it's beautiful up there. And that lift, um, yeah, we're, we're looking at both. So yeah, you're correct. Both two fixed older fixed grip triples that we'll be, uh, enhancing in the next couple of years. So when you say move the Becker lift line, can you give us a sense of where you would want to move it to? Bottom terminal location will move, uh, slightly. It will come down. What we think right now will come down closer to those that are listening that know Snow Basin well, closer to the Wildcat bottom terminal. Um, and that will be so that volume can just kind of go, you can kind of choose to go to either of those lifts. Uh, top terminal will be in a similar location. We kind of like where the top terminal goes, uh, mainly because it, it can access a couple of different areas of the mountain, but also get people over to Strawberry pretty quick. So that one, it, it's not a huge adjustment. The Porky one, top terminal would be in a similar location because it's wind protected, right? It's close to the ridge. We wouldn't want to move it too far. Bottom terminal would go uphill a little bit and to the other side, it's currently on the skier's right side. It'd be on the skier's left side. Um, and it would, it would both would, so the both, both bottom terminals would be adjusted ever so slightly. Both top terminals would be pretty similar. Would a mid station make sense on Becker to let folks off at that Bear Hollow Junction or are you trying to get people out of that area? I think we're trying to get people out of that area. Yeah. I, I don't know if a mid station would, would work well for us there. Um, but it's always something, right? We're in the midst of looking at that right now. We work with some great folks, um, and, and the mountain planning side. So yeah, it's always something we look at. In fact, some of the, some of the folks have some great ideas. And one of, one of them, 
Um, and you know, one of the, from EcoSign group out of, out of Whistler, they're brilliant at this stuff. And Paul Matthews, one of the OGs of, of mountain planning. If, if you know Paul Matthews, he, that guy's a legend in designing ski areas all around the country. And he helped with the, the holdings back in the day, right? Looking at the, so he knows us very, very well. And he had an idea of, you know, taking out the porky lifts completely and, but, but building a tunnel, um, yeah. off of the needles lift, the needles gondola through the ridge there. And, you know, I, I remember talking to the forest service about that. I'm like, what if we <laughs> just built a tunnel? And they're like, well, give us four years to plan that out. Right. And, and see what could be possible. But there's, there's all sorts of different ideas of how to do it. Um, that we're looking at and innovation in the ski industry is, is very much there. We're, we're all trying to find the, the best possible ways of doing things, but, yeah, either way, both of those areas will be addressed in, in the next couple of years. Do you think, Davey, we'd be looking at high-speed lifts? And if so, are you looking at four or six? At both of those, we wouldn't do six. We would most likely do fours, yeah. And high-speed lifts? Yes. Nice. All right. Well, you also laid out, Snowbasin also laid out, I think it was last year or maybe it was the year before, a very ambitious base village plan that would really – redefine that whole area, which right now is just dominated by very nice base lodges, as you said, but also a lot of parking. So lay this out for us here. What is Snow Basin proposing? Why are you doing it? And what's the timeline? Great question. So going all the way back to 2011, um, we, we are split into two counties that our resort kind of resides in two different counties in the state of Utah. Uh, both counties went through a process of these entitlements in areas uh, around the resort. And they did that work back in 2011, 2012, I believe. And then nothing much happened, right? You know, went, went through the course of time. Uh, when I started back in 2018, we kind of dusted those off and started looking at what's possible. And I think part of the why behind it is a little bit of you know, what is the next thing that we have to be ready for? And I think for us, it is about that future growth and sustaining. It's kind of like everything, right? There's a pendulum effect in skiing. I always say this, like you can grow your business ever so far, but then it always comes back a little bit, right? And and um, I think everybody's after everybody's skier visits, right? That's the other thing, right? Like I think everybody, both all the resort you know, conglomerates out there are looking to try know as many skier visits as they can. And so for us, like, how do we start to really venture into that space a little bit more and really thoughtfully bring people in from around the world uh, to ski Snow Basin? We already have that. We do really, really well at bringing – it's on the bucket list, right? The Snow Basin is always on somebody's bucket list to come try because they've heard about the experience here. Um, but doing it to where they can come and stay and stay overnight, we're going to be really thoughtful about how to approach that. Um, there's a couple of different things that we announced in that. One was a, a relationship with Club Med. Uh, for a, a North, uh, well, they just finished one in Canada, but a, a US-based Club Med. I've worked with them quite a bit now the last couple of years. I've traveled, I've skied at their resorts in Europe. I went to one of their beach resorts. They are really good. Um, they are very, very good at uh, catering high levels of service, uh, bringing people in from all over the world, from Brazil, from Mexico, from uh, France, from Asia, they, they, people come from all over to Club Meds because of the experience there and they know the brand really, really well. So I'd be excited for that because it, it would, it would bring a, an interesting flavor to Snow Basin. What's exciting about it too is Utah has an abundance of, uh, foreign languages been spoken, right? Because of, of the Mormon culture and people that go on LDS missions and they come back knowing French, knowing Portuguese and 
Um, and so it, it'd be really fun for us to be able to venture into that space and have more languages spoken. And then the village is something we're working with East West on. And again, another group of amazing developers and people that know how to do this right. And we have a very thoughtful way of exploring expansion of the base area and having um, more than just the, the lodges that we have right now, kind of, you know, slowly and surely building something that makes sense. And so I don't think what you'll see ever is just, you know, build it and they will come, right? We, that's not our approach. It's, it's, let's see what we need to do and where it makes sense. Cause we know, we know, right. As soon as something like say goes on sale to buy at Snow Basin, that that would be people will lose their minds, right? Like they, they will, the, the amount of desire to own something here is huge. Um, and so, you know, we, we definitely want to be thoughtful about how to approach that. And then there's a lot of people that they, you know, they don't want to drive back and forth and they want to stay overnight. And so we're excited to give them those opportunities in the future. Yeah. I'm a big fan of the village concept and of giving folks the opportunity to stay at the mountain and to build density there at the base of the mountain, because from my point of view, that is a very environmentally friendly initiative, even though it's development in the mountains, because what you're doing essentially is taking potentially thousands of people off the roads in the mornings and in the evening and sort of giving them this <clears throat> real resort destination experience, sort of like Europe. Yeah. That is not always, I think, appreciated. I think there's a very reflexive response often to mountain development from a group of environmentally oriented folks who say, well, we don't want development in the mountains. How much pushback have you seen to this project and how have you responded to that? Far, far less than, than I know other areas have. And I think, I think because it's, it's one of those things at Snow Basin, at least where everyone's just been like, okay, yeah, that, that, that makes sense. Right. Like they've, because I think um, the holdings are very patient and thoughtful about the approach. It's kind of, it's always been out there. I mean, for 25 years, it's been out there, right. Where, you know, is this going to happen? When's it going to happen? And so it's not like a big surprise, right? I, I think what we're trying to do is do it in a way that makes sense, doing it in a way that, you know, enhances the guest experience and doesn't detract from the guest experience. But but as we know, right, and we know throughout the course of the, the ski business, especially over the last 10, 15 years, change is super tough for people. Um, you, you know, there is, a, there is a, a an expectation um, of the same skiing experience from 15, 20 years ago, although prices were probably higher 15, 20 years ago for season passes right. and the lift infrastructure was not as good. Um, and so we have enhanced the ski experience, but people, I think what they want is just, you know, people just want that nostalgia of the way it used to be. And, and so that always comes with, with change always comes with heartache and for people. And, uh, but I would tell you that we were very, very, um, happy with the responses that we got. It was people understand it, people get it, people, you know, obviously there's going to be some that have a lot of negative feedback and that's just the way it always is around the ski, the ski business. But comparatively, we are, we were in a, a very, very good spot. So I'm not sure if I have this right exactly. It looks as though the village is going to be built out from the current main base area, the Grizzly Center, over what's currently parking lot. So just talk about where this is actually going to be built and how that's going to impact day skier parking and parking in general and how folks access the resort in the morning. 
Great question. So I, I, I know I'm right about this in Utah, but I, I, I think I'm right. I've heard them correct on this around the rest of the industry too, but I believe Snow Basin, Snow Basin already has the most amount of parking of any resort in Utah. I think that's true for Colorado too. Um, we have a lot of parking and yeah. not just that we have shuttles that pick you up <laughs> and drop you off from everywhere in that parking. It's, it's quite the experience. Um, but you know, we, we recognize that if we, you know, that parking becomes very valuable real estate for development. And mm-hmm. as we remove some parking, we will replace the parking. And, and I think that's really critically important. Um, and I think that's not just that, but, in replacing that parking, create an experience like, like we have right now in our plans. If we take some of the, what we call the Earl's parking lot and we start to expand slowly, you know, with more buildings, um, and we lose a couple of hundred parking spots, we'll be adding those parking spots to an area called Canyon Rim. And our plan is to put a lift at the bottom, uh, where people can park and just jump on a lift instead of just mm-hmm. shuttle, get more nice. cars off the road. And so it is an enhanced ski experience. You can park and you can get on a lift immediately. And that is one of our real benefits of, of we know thoughtfully as we, as we adventure into this space very, very, very slowly. We've been very, very slow. Um, and doing this is to make sure that the guest experience is also not impacted. And so we will adjust the parking. We will add more parking and we will add lift infrastructure to support that. So an interesting part of this upgrade plan is some improvements to Snow Basin Road, obviously the main access road up to the resort. And there's traffic issues all around Utah, and I think the Cottonwoods get most of the attention here. But talk a little bit about the traffic situation you have right now on Snow Basin Road and how you're going to address that. Yeah, another great question. So working with UDOT, um, we are definitely trying to evaluate this volume that we see. Mainly for us, it's on those peak periods or on a powder day on a Saturday where trafficking it backed up onto Trapper's Loop, the main access road into Snow Basin Road. Um, and I think what we've seen and, and what really, what other resorts have done, and, and we haven't tackled this in a, in a way that we, you know, maybe need to. We obviously, the best parking we have is carpool parking. So, and we, we invest heavily in, in, in public transportation, uh, and we just continue each year. I continue to put more into public transportation and have for the last five years, and we'll continue to do that in the future. But what we see more than anything is because uh, it, it, because Snow Basin is so good, and this is not trying to brag about it, but it's so accessible. It's so easy to get to. The amount of people one person per car is mm-hmm. is, is is way too much. It, mm. It's way too many. And um, and I get it. I understand it. Right? Like you're you're a person that lives uh, thirty minutes away. You can be skiing. Like it's it's easy. Right. Like mm-hmm. it is, is very easy compared to other resorts to get in and out of parking is free. Um, you can park and get on a shuttle and enjoy your day, get runs in and, you know, sit in the lodge and do some work and come home. Like it's an, it's a really easy, easy experience. And so part of our process on, you know, tackling these issues is to strongly encourage more people per car. And I, you know, there's different ways to do that, different ways to tackle that. Uh, even though we have incredible parking and access and shuttles, uh, I think what we are really seeing is a more of a philosophy uh, mm-hmm. of getting people in and out of the resort in a in a way that makes sense. And so we're definitely looking at all of those things and, and how to do it in the most appropriate fashion. So New Village will also come with some new ski terrain and a whole bunch of new chairlifts. So I will include the map, the, the conceptual map of this 
on the article that accompanies this podcast on stormskiing.com for those of you listening. But break this down for us, Davey. What does this new terrain look like? What does this new complex of chairlifts look like? What are you aiming to achieve with this terrain pod? Great question. So the the pod that we're talking about is what what we call it probably won't be called this what we currently call the ridge line and there's actually already a trail cut in there called the squirrel trail and you can park at the bottom of the resort this area called canyon rim and we built a ski trail right back to it um mm. and you on this ridge that we have and and basically what it will be is about four maybe five runs um very beginner to intermediate train very, and and it's a, it's a it's a pod of train a skiing train that will end up being dedicated. It will have really two main purposes. One is beginner terrain, which, you know, if you know anything about Snow Basin, we, we've won the conversion cup two years, two times in the last five years for, you know, our learn and earn program, um, which we're really incredibly proud of bringing new people into the sport, never evers that learn how to, you know, a multi-year program that teaches them how to, how to ski for a very inexpensive way, creating those barriers of entry. But the thing that we need most to, to enhance that is the train that they can go learn on. And so this pod will service that incredibly well, which we're really excited about. But the, the second piece is that it becomes an access point. And so the lift itself, which will, will most likely be a six pack, will be one of those heavy lift lifts that you can park, get on that and go early in the morning. And then the, the kids ski school or the adult programs and learn and earn can then go, be at that pod. All the main traffic is gone from it, right? Because it's mainly used in the morning to to get people in and out from their parking area. And then they can lap that terrain and learn in a very comprehensive way. And that then removes beginner skiers off of some of the more, you know, uh, intermediate terrain on the mountain. And so we, we see it as an incredibly valuable uh, new piece of our guest experience because it, it learn and earn and, and giving back and teaching people how to ski is such a critical point to all of our business uh, and then also creating that environment where people can just park, get on a lift and go. That's also a critical piece to us. So let me break down these lifts here and make sure I have this right. So when you say that the out of parking lot lift would be a six pack, is that the one that's labeled new village lift on this conceptual map? There's two. So there's one that will take you just right up the ridge line, And that's the one yeah. I'm speaking to that would just mm-hmm. be a ski lift. And then the other one is a, a future lift that we would put in that from the same location that would take you more to the central core of the village. Uh, the new village that there's, so there'd be two out of that area that we're looking at. The first, that, that second one, the more that services the village that would come, uh, later, the, the lift that would service the ski train, that would, that would be one of the first things we put in. And would those both be six packs? No, we, the one that, that services the ski train would, we think that's the right appropriate size for that, for the volume that we see out of that. The other one, we don't know what we would do yet. It could be, it could be something else completely that, cause it's more of just a, a people mover at that point. There's also a note on this conceptual map, upgraded little cat express that little cat lift is already a six pack. So, or are you talking about the, uh, the surface lift that's there now and upgrading that? So we talked about that. I don't know. So little cat currently is a, is a quad. It's a, it's a four pack and it's a pretty new lift. I want to say it's only 11 or 12 years old. I think we had some initial plans when that first came out that, you know, moving that might make sense, but I, I think we're going to keep that one the way it is. The, the other lifts that we have, there's the mountain side and then there's the development side. We, you know, we definitely need to be looking at the, the mountain improvements. Like we talked about Becker and Porky, but some of these other lifts that support the development plan, I think, what I would say is it's, it's so much <laughs> as you go down these things, you, you, there's so much change and evolution to what you end up 
actually putting in the ground uh, that it, it's hard to say this will be where that lift goes because we have to just look at so many different factors as we start it. What I can say is that Ridgeline lift, that that one that we spoke to that that really does the heavy lifting, that's for sure in our future. We, we that you know even if there wasn't a development plan. That's a necessary lift as it is, right? Because of the beginner train and intermediate train that we need. So some of these things, as we go through this process and we're working with some great folks is I'm sure there'll be an evolution to, well, maybe that's not exactly the right location to put it. Maybe we should put it here. And so some of those lifts, I would say that we came out with, and I think some are definitely in the right spot and some we might change a little bit as we get down the road. Is this project all on schedule, Davey, or, or are you adjusting slightly? What What's the timeline here for when you think we'll start to see some new building, trails, lifts, what, whatever it is that you decide to do first? You know, I think that's that's a, another great question. There's so many things at play, right? And and timing of coming post-COVID and the supply chain issues and, and, you know, so much of what we do is in the behind the scenes is the water, sewer, power, right? The infrastructure to support this. It's all the work that we've been doing the last couple of years is kind of getting ready and getting our ducks in a row to be able to do some of those things. I, I, I couldn't tell you that we're, when we'll have a shovel in the ground just yet. We're hopeful that, you know, that happens soon. Um, but there's so many moving parts. We've been working with our counties very closely. Uh, we've been enhancing the mountain with, you know, in the interim and keep doing what we're doing just to keep things running. But that, that work behind the scenes of the development plan is very much active. We work on it every day and we have a whole crew of people that work on it with us every day. But when we have a shovel in the ground, I don't know. Uh, and not because I don't know because we don't have a date, but because there's so many moving parts. I wish I could say this June we're breaking ground, but I, I don't think we're going to see anything this summer, right? Because we still are working on water, sewer power and, you know, the, the construction window, if we, if we don't hit it this summer, then we're going to definitely push things off to 2024. And so shovel ready. Uh, we're definitely getting close to a lot of great ideas. But when we're ready to put one in, I'll, I'll be, be sure to let you know. Uh, we're all anxiously, anxiously waiting. There's so many cool parts to this. And uh, we're really excited about it. And we're definitely, we're in that mode of being introspective of like, okay, we have these thoughts. Let's look at our business. Let's, again, it's one of the things I love so much about the family is, they don't just build it to build it. They want to build it right, right? And they want to build it to where it really services the guest. And and that's what Snow Basin has been about. And I love the fact that they're thoughtful about it because, again, uh, again, not to disparage other locations, but th- there can be a, a bit of it. Let's just put something in and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And and that's not us. <laughs> we, are, we are very, very considerate of the experience. And I think that's – I think the people that come to Snow Basin know that, right? That's kind of our approach. So appreciating that this is a massive project and you have a new lift going in this summer and that the ski area is already enormous. Just thinking long term, the forest service boundaries, are those set or is there potential in the far future for some sort of major terrain expansion at Snow Basin? Yeah, I get asked that all the time. I, I don't think so. I, th- I think our terrain, you know, where where we have a, right, like if you think about some of the big ski areas out there, right, some of the most visited ski areas, they're, they're of the same size as us. Um, but where they really, you know, are able to take that volume is in their lift infrastructure and spreading people out and what they do. Um, I don't think there's necessary need for us to expand terrain. We're going to enhance terrain. There's definitely a lot more that we can do to, to spread people out. And we, de- we have a, a, a mountain master plan dedicated to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think changing the boundaries is our, is our answer. Um, 
I think what we need to do is just really pay attention to what we've got and spend a lot of time in the summer kind of improving that. That's a big one. And I don't think terrain expansion is really where we need to be, except, except for that new pod that's on our land, right? That's, that's mm-hmm. on forest service land. That's okay. um, on land that we own. So outside of that, I think our boundary lines are pretty good. All right, Davey, last topic for you today. Let's talk about multi-mountain passes. Snow Basin joined the Mountain Collective a long time ago, left that, joined the Epic Pass for three years. Then in March, announced that you were leaving that to rejoin the Mountain Collective and to join the Icon Pass for the first time. So take us through this. Why did you leave Mountain Collective to join Epic? And then why did you leave Epic to join Mountain Collective and Icon? (laughs) You know, I think... I. Yeah, I think because we're smart. <laughs> I think <laughs> that sounds so silly to say, but the reality is it gave us a chance. Maybe think about it this way, right? It gave us a chance to see everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and not everyone can say that. And um, it allowed us to learn a lot and allowed us to introduce Snow Basin to people that wouldn't normally know us. Mm-hmm. And so if you think about it from that perspective, right? Like it, we, obviously I knew the Epic product very well. Um, and venturing into that space initially was we wanted to get a sense of how to do it again. I, use, I probably use, if you go back and listen to how many times I said thoughtful in this uh, podcast, it's probably 20, 30 at this point. Um, but I, but in reality it, it was right. Cause we knew that it would be a, a couple of small steps forward. We knew what that volume would be. We knew where those guests would come from. We had a sense of who they were. And we, and it was very, it was baby steps, right? And it was allowing us to kind of venture into that space where we were seeing people that are, are not our traditional season pass holders. And it was great. Uh, it was, it was fantastic. It allowed us to see what those opportunities were. Again, introduce Snow Basin to people that we wouldn't normally see. And so then shifting gears, when we looked at Icon, we're like, okay, we did that well. And it allows us to, to venture into that space and let's see what we can do with you know, bringing other people, more people into the resort. And we've been able to do that with Icon and they've been great to work with. Both both groups are great to work with. And um, they allowed us to see, again, a different type of guest and for that guest to know us and for us to learn from two big, great companies. And I, I, I guess I, I joke about it like, cause, yeah, we think we're smart. Um, but I, I look at it more to the, to the point that it, it allowed us to, learn. And if we're doing this right, and I think if you're a good operator, you're, you're paying attention, you're listening really well, and you're seeing what your resort can do and where you can benefit from things. And and I think where we're at right now is we, you know, with both Mount Collective and Icon, we found a, a great group of people to grow with and to introduce Snow Basin to, and it's it's been exceptional. What can you tell us so far? We're about halfway through the season, recording this on January 31st. What can you tell us about utilization as that compares to Epic Pass? How many folks are you seeing coming up? Is, is the volume okay? Are you happy with it? Yeah, we are. And I, I'd say the volume is where we expected it to be. And, and when you look at it, right, some of those, some of those entities, and I'll let them share their own data, right? They, that, that I definitely don't ever want to share their numbers, but, um, what they, you know, what they figured out is, you know, how to tap into the Utah market. Uh, both Epic and Icon have figured out how to do that and, and where their folks come from. And I think, Icon specifically, what they've been able to do in Utah is create a suite of resorts that give people choices, right? And, mm-hmm. and hey, I can, I can hit, you know, Deer Valley that day, or I can hit Solitude, or I can hit Snowbird, or I can hit Snow Basin, and, and they could, you know, try us all out and sample us. And I think that's, that's a big, that's a big thing for people that own a season pass in Utah is to, 
it's so close, right? You can get to so many different amazing resorts and see what they're like. And so uh, I think, you know, what we've seen is kind of what we expected. And they're really fun guests. Um, they they are blown away. It's really fun. To, I was on a gondola the other day with Icon Pass holders and they're from Utah and mm-hmm. they've never been to Snow, Snow Basin. And they're wow. like, I was like, what do you think? And they're like, it's our favorite mountain ever. And I was like, that's, that's what we do really, really well. It's like, um, you know, it's like when I was, you know, a younger man dating, like, yeah, I might not be the guy you want to go out with. Just, I don't have the best looks in the world, but once you get to know me, I'm a good guy, right? Like <laughs> snow basin, um, is an amazing place because it was, you know, you may not venture up this way. And, uh, if you look at our advertising in Salt Lake right now, it, you know, it says go North, right? Try, mm-hmm. try us out. And, you know, once people realize it's 45 minutes to get to us and it might take you longer to get to the other resorts. In fact, it does take you longer to get to the other resorts. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they get here and they realize they can get picked up in a shuttle. It's a huge mountain. It has incredible lift infrastructure and some of the best food on the planet with apparently really, really good bathrooms. Um, <laughs> we, we do well at converting people to fall in love with us. <laughs> So, so talk about the calculus of deciding to join here for a minute, because there, there would seem to be a, a density issue potentially with Icon in Utah, because while it's great for skiers, yes, you can get Deer Valley, it's a season pass at Solitude, you get Brighton, you get Alta Snowbird, all in that pass. There's a couple of concerns. One is, are there too many Icon passes and are they going to flood this place? And the, the second one would be, you know, is it going to dilute your season pass sales because it's around the same price as a snow basin season pass? And guess what? It comes with all this variety and then you can go to Tahoe and you can go to Colorado. So did any of those play into it? And, and ultimately, how did you kind of mitigate those concerns about maybe bringing too many people in with Icon? Yeah, again, great question. So, yeah, all of those things are definitely considered. And I would say the answer to it is that the market tells you the answers, right? Like mm-hmm. it, it tells you, like the market <laughs> reveals all things. And uh, what we've seen is that the market's definitely, whatever the, the icon, whatever their business has been, how they've done it, and uh, Altera has created that, you know, a great product. You know, they definitely are seeing, and they, they these companies are really, really smart, right? So when they look at them, and they see volumes, they go, okay, how do we manage this the best way we can where we're not hurting ourselves, right? And everybody is considerate. I, I, they're not just throwing it against the wall, hoping it will stick, right? They're all very, very smart at what they do. And so I think, you know, for us, we looked at it and said, what what can our mountain hold? And as I said, we we can do a lot because we are we have an incredible amount of opportunity and, um, you know, when you can walk on, like you can, you know, pretty much Monday through Friday, walk on every lift, um, there's capacity, there's an opportunity to bring people in and, and, you know, especially motivate people. And that's what we see with some of these past products is they're very, very good Monday through Friday business, really good Monday through Friday business. And they're, mm-hmm. they create product suites that are attractive to that. And there's a certain market that really wants that because that's what works for them, especially in today's day and age where there's so much more mobile workforce that incentivizing a pass product where somebody can go up skiing on a Tuesday and then sit with their laptop for two hours and that's work. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's a big deal. And we're seeing that quite a bit. And I think these pass products have created a, an opportunity to enhance that. So to answer your question, I think for it, it really comes back to the individual resort that is looking at it for us. We don't feel like at all that we have, you know, flooded the market. We, we definitely see our loyal season pass base. Snow Basin has had an unbelievable season pass base for a long, long time. 
And Icon, obviously there's, you know, you look at that and go, well, are we going to lose some of that? Well, no, because at the end of the day, what, what happens, you know, think about it this way. People want to ski at their mountain as many times as they can. And Snow Basin in particular has a high, high throughput of utilization of their season pass holders. And so, yeah, we, we don't, we still see people want to buy their season pass because they want more than those limited days. And, and so it, it, it services everybody. It services our season pass holders. It services the, the icon pass holders, the mountain collective people, the adventurers that want to be able to come and go and, and sample around and drive around and try other things. So right now it, it feels really good. It's working really, really well for us. And it obviously I think, you know, this year is unique because the snow, whew, it has brought people out. Right? It is, it has definitely got people skiing, which it, it's funny. We always get concerned, right? Man, these slow snow years and, you know, we're worried about the, the long-term effectiveness of the ski industry and what's going to happen. And then we have a good year and everyone gets pissed. Um, and I, I'm sitting back going, wow, this is like, you, you can't, you, you know, how do you, how do you win? Right. How do you win in the ski industry? Um, and all I try to do as best I can is to, to try create an experience that's as special as, as it can be for both the guests and my employees. That's all you can do. Well, Davey, I think you sold it. I don't think there's a single person listening to this that's not packing their bags for Snow Basin right now. Uh, I, it's, it sounds like you're having an amazing season, and I hope that the rest of it goes just as well. I will be following along with all these huge projects. Can't wait to get out there and ride this new Des Moines Express for myself. But, but thank you for that, Davey. I really appreciate it. That was a lot of fun. You're a good man. Thanks for the time. I appreciate it. That's Davey Ratchford, Vice President and General Manager of Snow Basin, Utah. Davey, you crushed it. Just awesome. Snow Basin skiers, how did you like that? How do you feel knowing that that guy is going to be running your mountain for the foreseeable future? If I were you, I would be feeling pretty awesome about that fact, about where that mountain is headed and who's running it. So thank you all very much for listening. The pod has been a little slow in coming lately. Sorry about that. We have had some shuffling around and rescheduling and, frankly, some technical issues that I am still working through. But everything I promised you is still on its way, including the pods with the leaders of Whitefish and Seven Springs. Palisades Tahoe did get pushed out a couple months, but it will be coming, along with conversations featuring the leaders of Eagle Crest, Holiday Valley, Pacific Group Resorts, Saddleback, Whitecap, Heavenly, Breckenridge, Deer Valley, Whistler, Banff, Sun Peak, Stevens Pass, Dartmouth Skiway and China Peak. Remember, the best way to get those episodes as soon as they're live is to subscribe to the Storm Skiing newsletter at stormskiing.com. New pods appear in your email box several hours before syncing with the podcast services, including Apple and Spotify. There are free and paid tiers of the newsletter, and paid subscribers do receive podcasts three days before everyone else. You can also follow the storm on Twitter and Instagram at Storm Ski Journal. Until next time, stay well, stay safe. I'm Stuart Winchester, and I will talk to you again very soon. The Storm Skiing Podcast is a Quicksilver Films production.